0: All roads lead to power. And on this show, we're going to break that idea down a little bit. What is power? Who has it? And how do you get it? We'll deconstruct everything from motivation and mental health to anti racism and addiction. Ultimately, the goal is to give you the tools and strategies that you need to live your most powerful life, being a force for good in the world and impacting the people around you in a positive way. Powerful is brought to you by me, your host, Jeff Kula. I help people change and build incredible teams. Welcome to the is show.
1: A realization.
0: That power without love is reckless and abusive, and that love without power is sentimental and anemic.
1: Because the so-called real world of men and money and power comes merrily along on the fuel of fear and anger and frustration and craving and the worship of self. The really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline. If people don't learn power, people don't wake up. And if they don't wake up, they get left out.
0: Okay, welcome back to another episode of Powerful. My name is Jeff Coulard, and I'm your host, and today I am really excited for a conversation that I had with an administrator, a school administrator that I admire more than just about anybody who's in that role. It's someone who I've had the pleasure of working with his team over the course of a couple of years at a local elementary school, and I just have to say right out of the gates that I judge leaders based on how well their teams function. I think that that's a good yardstick for us to measure the impact and the effectiveness of a leader is how well their team functions and how um, adaptable and adaptive their team is and how passionate their team is and how skilled and competent and how well they communicate with each other and how well they hold space for each other to have tough conversations or just any kind of conversation. I think that's, you know, the measure of a good team or the measure of a good leader is in how functional their team is on a couple of different domains. And when I first walked in to Brendan's team, Brendan Trinka's or today's guest, I walked into his team and I sat down and it felt like a team that I would want to be a part of that was super passionate about the work that they do together and really clear about what they were there for, what the vision was, and what the the values were that they held as a team. And so I'm thrilled for today's conversation. We have a pretty wide-ranging conversation about education and about leadership, and I hope you enjoy it half as much as I did. Brendan, thanks so much for joining me.
1: Jeff, thanks for the invite, and I'm glad we uh, were able to make this happen and manifest this. Yeah,
0: no. It's been uh, it's been a conversation I've been wanting to have for a while around uh, kind of leadership in education system in particular. It's a place that is near and dear to my heart. I come from a long line of teachers. My father was a teacher and a principal and a superintendent, and I married a teacher. And her father's a teacher. And my sister's a teacher. So, you know, I, I narrowly escaped being in the education <laughs> system. Probably myself at some level. So, um, it's a it's a system that I'm always intrigued by around kind of the the breadth and scope of being an educator these days the you know pre even pre covid so we're recording this in kind of end of may 2020 and we've all been in this covid-19 pandemic for probably two months now has really impacted our, our practices and our systems. And so I'm, I'm interested in talking about some of the shifts that you've made and in, in your school around that and what leadership looks like in this kind of new world. Because I think not just educational leaders are wrestling with this, but leaders across the board have had this disruption really hit their practices. And, and what, is, what does leadership look like for you now? And, and how is it the same? And how has it changed? Um, and also just wherever we end up, Going, whatever we end up chatting about. I know you've done some recent uh, learning around stress in the workplace and stress and leadership and those combinations. So I'd love to dig into that with you as well. So again, thank you for joining me.
1: Sounds great, Jeff. And and uh, a lot of the a lot of influences that I've uh, learned from has come from from my chats with you over the years as well. And I just really appreciate having a voice that's doesn't live in a school, and that's really important to me in terms of. Connecting, making connections with uh, outside of your own building uh, uh, folks, because that's where
0: the, the real world lies. So no, I, I, I can speak to you all day, I'm sure. So let's start. All right. So I want to dig into culture building a little bit because... Mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time in a lot of different schools over the over the past couple of years. And the one school that always stands out in my mind is Glenbow Elementary School, which we I worked with you and your team for, you know, in and out for probably two or three years, maybe uh, while you were there doing different kind of workshops and we did some values work. Um, but it struck me as it, a palpably different experience walking through those doors. And engaging with your team than other places in the system, not to compare good versus bad, but just different, like differently connected. There's a level of a sense of belonging and community in that place that came from like every every member of the staff that I would talk to, which is a very unique experience. As an external consultant, mm-hmm. usually you get a, a much wider range of engagement in a, in a, in a staff team. And so I'm yeah. curious, curious when you reflect on that, because you've since moved on from that position, um, but when you reflect on your time at Glenbow, what are some of the things that really stand out for you, culture building? activities philosophies experiences that you had
1: yeah um thanks for that that's a it's it's something that when i reflect back on glenbow as well it's something that absolutely uh resonates with me in terms of uh getting to a place where there is that culture in a building is um it's it's quite uh it's it's it doesn't happen overnight (laughs) so where would i start with that i guess um you know, I would start with uh, when I uh, think about uh, culture, I think about community. And so when I arrived there, there were some words about folks saying, oh, it's a Glenbow family. And, I, and I'm really quick to say <laughs> it's not a family. It's families, uh, you know, Jeff, are there's um, a fair bit of dysfunction can be in every family. Um, and the lens is just not the same as a community lens. And so words matter to me. So I was really uh, careful with my words. And I said, it's the Glenbow learning community. And that's just something that uh, I think words are important. Um, And a community is uh, different than a family and there's contributing members and there's power wise, which uh, I'm sure you appreciate. There's elements there too. I wanted to see uh, like fractals in nature. So fractals are repeating patterns in nature. And so what I wanted to see when I thought about that and when I started to see what I wanted to see, it was the way adults interact with adults is the same with inter- teacher, is the same as the way staff interacted with students and hopefully the way students interacted with other students, the way we interacted with a guest in the building. I wanted to be that to be uh, the same. Uh, and I wanted to that to... And I do believe that that would be, uh, beget building that uh, uh, greater community and and uh, community that is grounded, present, uh, listening, and just wanted to see the qualities that uh, those type
0: of qualities. I'm just going to take a second and jump in here really quick. What Brendan is talking about here, I think, this sense of congruence amongst a community of professionals, whether that's a group of educators working in a building or your team or your family, I think it's that sense of congruence between these are the values that we say we have and then these are the behaviors that exhibit those values. And when those are congruent with each other and congruent across relationships is when you really start to see community and culture start to thrive.
1: So that's where I started. Is that that start to answer
0: your question? Yeah, that's super helpful because I think that's, you know, that those patterns of interaction, actually one of the tests that I do, it's a, it's an informal test of a culture is I just, I just like sit in the back of a meeting and just watch body language or I watch engagement. I sit in the lunchroom and just listen to the conversations that are happening. And if there's a palpable difference between how people show up when there's nobody watching or there's no kids or parents in the room versus, you know, when they're on, you know, in in front of the class, if there's a, if there's a remarkable difference between that, it, it creates this tension, I think, within a community where you don't have that sense of congruence. And and I've been trying to get to a place with culture and community that's really simple. And where I've landed is is basically like clear values and behaviors that reflect them. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's all we're after. We're after those patterns of behavior that are reflective of the values that we agree on. And any incongruence is where you start to find conflict and tension and distress and those types of things. Um,
1: Right. Right. So yeah, where, where I am, um, where, I, yeah, exactly. And so where uh, I'd go back to words uh, like you sitting in the back of a meeting, for example, when I hear other leaders, school leaders saying my staff, uh, my, you know, uh, yeah, just, let's just stick with my staff. It gives me shudders. It, it just, it just gives me shudders, and I shouldn't, but I, I, I probably make an assumption about that school and that, um, the leadership staff, uh, our staff—it's it, a collective—and so those 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 elements are 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 the the aspirational values and goals. Um, and I, yeah, so how do you get there? I guess you know you, uh, in terms of myself being clear with myself, in terms of uh, my norms, or in terms of being really present and 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 showing up. And if you're there, then you're and you're listening, then you're getting. You're getting a lot. You know that in terms you're getting a lot nonverbal and you're getting a lot of verbal. And um, if a, a stance of uh, meeting teachers where they're at and, and understanding their stressors and uh, having high expectations, but there to support them. I think when they see that you're there to support them, and uh, again, a lot of what I learned from you is to level the playing field and set up dialogue to uh, promote discussion from everyone we all know that there's more powerful voices fair enough but being really mindful of the that you set up discourse and dialogue is is one way that's uh, certainly really helped and then i've seen it play out in terms of grade teams who to this day i know like when there's a birthday in the grade team they bring in a lunch they're civilized they probably include the whole hallway, they uh, have these celebrations. That's at Glenbow that you're referring to. And so that's, um, that's some just key people who carry that culture too. There's some really key people who, as you know, when new folks walk into the building, it's not um, one person uh, that they look to. It's, it's uh, you know, you're getting it from every, every deed and gesture. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can think of key people who really take that to the next level. Like you know, uh, in terms of uh, the true culture of the building, so yeah, I don't know it's it's, uh, it's a hard one to pinpoint, Jeff.
0: It is, and I think that you know when I look at institutions like the educational institution, I see you know I see lots of barriers and opportunities for that like improvement across the board when it comes to culture and engagement, and and you know mm-hmm. generally speaking, we're in a bit of an engagement crisis in North America, when yeah. it comes to yeah. work, like we know that yeah. it's super clear. And I've done podcasts on this. So listeners can, you know, be reminded of, the, you know, this engagement crisis across the board. And I think it's particularly, or I've experienced that I've noticed it being particularly amplified in the helping services, the helping professions, mm-hmm. whether it's education or social services or healthcare, you know, places where the burden of responsibility is is quite high. And mm-hmm. the corresponding levels of support from society are sometimes lower than right. would be like those two things. Like there's an inherent mismatch between the job we're asking these people like educators to do, for example, and how we resource them and what, what our expectations are of them. And I think it's becoming more and more clear that there's a, there's a mismatch there. And when you're caught there as an educator or caught there as a team of educators, um, I think it can be really easy to have that impact our level of engagement or willingness or, you know, just satisfaction. With the job. Mm -hmm. Um, so as a leader of teams in that environment and you could like, how do you, how do you tackle that from a, when you back up from the being present in the moment with a staff Mm -hmm. in a staff meeting, having that conversation, when you take a step back from that, what are some of the things that, that you think about some of the things that you're trying to do to impact, um, the, the, the system level or at the school and community like when you take that and scale it out to the parent community for example of a school what are some of the things that are challenges things that you've had success with i know that's a big broad question
1: but. okay all right well i you know i i, I team you know, when you think of team i guess i um i kind of underlined that one because it's more and more uh, you and i both uh value coaching and and uh, in the corner of my desk i have a coach role for sure and more and more i'm kind of moving into uh coaching teams because individuals is uh, really fruitful but i think teams is where um when you talk about systems so uh i th- i think um when i think about some of the ways we've impacted I, and you make your impact is um I don't know, I, I, things like using positive presuppositions. I learned that in cognitive coaching years ago, you know, when, and that would be, you know, placing a positive aspect to that person who's in a big challenge. Let's say it's a parent, you know, and, and you'd say, I know that, you know, you're, you want to try your best about developing a routine in bedtime type thing, even if they're not, but you're giving that and you see shoulders Relax a bit when you say something like that. So with the staff, uh, you know, for example, recently I, I said one statement, like I opened the staff meeting, it was around reporting time, and there were a lot of questions. And I said, we trust your professional judgment. And the shoulders in the room, the exhale was palpable. And so it's not just saying nice things, Jack, but it's showing and demonstrating that trust and appreciation from where they for where they are right now is a is a pretty important place to start. Like I think if you walk in for myself this year, if I walked in, you know, as they say, guns are blazing and wanting to make uh, all this change, and you, it could be pretty tricky for when you're talking about a whole organization. So in terms of parents, uh, you know, and where I'm at right now, I leverage that a lot and really sharing. I, I'm really open with sharing what I'm learning. Uh, you know, we did some work around restorative practices and with students, and I, I saw a lot of influence there with students. So many narratives there that created uh, great changes. <clears throat> So I would feel free to model that with our school council or our our parents in general, or when I'm talking to them on the phone, just saying, you know, I asked these questions and here's what their answers were, rather than in a discipline situation, Jeff, rather than saying they were repeatedly pounding, Mm. you know, the ball off the ball and the teacher said no and reframing that and asking, using restorative practice, for example, it just invites dialogue. It invites people to share their positions and hopefully needs. Gosh, Jeff, it's, it's pretty intricate, but it's, it's weaving together a lot of the practices, I think, and foundations that you're familiar with in terms of um, uh, conflict resolution, I think, and, and power. And uh, I think, and then being clear. And so one thing we did this year is we are clear on um, some norms we created and modeled and are clear on norms for our staff. And they're on every staff meeting agenda. And uh, they're practiced. So the clarity part is something that uh, helps me a lot too, because I have a lot of ideas swirling in my head and I don't always get them out in a clear way.
0: Let's begin to restorative practice a little bit, because I think okay. um, if, if, if you want, we can go. <clears throat> go yeah, I'd love to. to. I'd love to. Yeah. What are some of the principles or foundations of restorative practice that make it different from traditional kind of disciplinary or conflict? Yeah, for sure. Because I think that that, um, you know, when I look at, the the this institution of education, and yeah. we talk about client centeredness a lot in, mm-hmm. in social services. Like client centeredness is a bit of a language, but student centered practice right. or a family centered practice, or you know, insert your your value yeah. that the system has identified as being important. So let's say yeah. student student centeredness. Um, we'll put that on the wall, or we'll put that in the, on the brochure, or it's on the website. But then you walk in and you start to interrogate practices through that lens, and you see that actually there's a lot of institution-centered practice there's a lot of teacher-centered practice there's a lot of centering something other than the student and for me that's the fundamental difference between restorative practice and something else you know old models or ways of being is like what's actually in the middle here so can you talk a little bit about restorative practice and what makes it effective what makes it different um sure the the mainstream
1: can I tell a quick story first absolutely I think it was my first year at (laughs) Mall. And we had we had lead teachers in every grade, and uh, it was um, you know we asked for statements from teachers, just in a, uh, uh, open-ended questions. And uh, truly, I didn't have this in mind when I asked that question, those series of questions. But when I had the data, Jeff, uh, at our lead teacher meeting, I was like, okay, what I have data, so now what, right? And that's the challenge, oftentimes. And it just struck me as like, hmm. Maybe we could classify these as student-centered or teacher-centered. And so that was the exercise. Oh, boy. That was – so it it put people – people were uncomfortable with it. It was – yeah, people were uncomfortable, I guess, uh, with uh, placing statements that colleagues said in one or the other two buckets. And and, uh, so it was – definitely had some – I don't know if you call it pushback. I don't think I, I, I don't like the word and I wouldn't call it that, but some people would. At any rate, it certainly speaks to just uncovering institutional practices versus um, other promising practices. <laughs> Anyways, restorative. So with restorative, I have to go narrative as well eventually, but uh, talk about restorative practice, you know, meeting in circle is something that, um, At the heart of it. And so, again, if I peel back to Glenbow, uh, there's a professional learning day in May. uh, Those are all pretty critical. They're lining up the new year. And uh, I think it was my second year there. We went off site. We went to, um, uh, it's called Headspace. It's no longer uh, uh, around. But it's a type of space that you walk in, you don't know where to put your briefcase, Jeff. It's just a different space altogether. And so that was uh, uh, a big part of, uh, as you know, shifting uh, thinking. We met as a circle, and, and a staff member afterwards um, commented, "We should meet as we should meet as in circle every time we meet as a staff." And so, and things like that—that's right in my wheelhouse, Jeff. In terms of plays, right in my wheelhouse, and I'd much rather hear it from others rather than me saying, "We shall meet in the circle," you know. So. Uh, as you know, we do, we, we did at Glenbow. And as you know, we we uh, did start uh, professional learning days in a drum circle um, and invite uh, person to person to share uh, with a prompt of some sort, whether it's mindfulness, gratitude, uh, anything. So that is a, an example of our sort of practice. practice. Um, it's equity it's an, it's an, and uh, it's an option to pass as well. So the circle is a big part of it. There's a series of questions in terms of uh, in the International Restorative Institute. There's a series of questions. I feel uncomfortable following the script, but they certainly are helpful and they're 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 good to kind of lean back on. And they're predictable. And so, for example, with students, uh, I noticed uh, some really a lot of culture of fairly petty, you know, uh, I would call it petty and kind of tattling and and uh, yeah, this happens all the time, you know, and and oh, since grade one and you know, I'm the new person in the school. Said, oh, that's that's great. Thanks for sharing that with me. I'd love to sit down with him. So one time, uh, the soccer kids, you know, and uh, the teacher who is growth minded and uh, and uh, uh, um, asset based for sure. Said Brennan, I said I'd like to meet with him in circle. You know, Brennan, I think that sounds great. But I got to tell you, this is going going on since kindergarten, and da-da-da. and so I met with them in circle. Uh, we asked some questions. We we got in dialogue. They I set the norms, and um, I did a lot less talking. They're so capable. These were grade four students. Grade one students are very capable of doing it. They need typically one or two prompts to, oh, no, no, I'm not asking this. This is what I'm asking because it's a reframe for them. After one time, they know. They know how Mr. Trinker rolls. And uh, so the comfort level of being in the circle uh, is there. Uh, the learning that comes from it is there. Here's an example. Uh, afterwards that we were in circle for uh, one of the soccer conflicts, a student comes to me and says, Mr. Trinka, I don't think soccer, I don't think soccer's is for me right now. I'm really having a hard time handling it. When are you going to hear that Jeff from a student? You're, that's our, that's our job institutionally wise. <laughs> You're not, you know, <laughs> that's, that's our job. Uh, Institutionally, I think teachers feel that uh, naturally you can't do that. That's wrong. I get it. But it's creating the conditions and uh, for the equity and dialogue and, and taking turns. And you, you go in a counterclockwise or you, know, you you decide which way, and you know it's coming around, and you know everybody's talking, and you know everybody's listening. How civilized is that? And how much learning can take place in that uh, moment. So this student getting back, they said, I don't think it's for me. You know, I saw, oh, you know, thanks for, wow. You know, that is a big realization. So what's going through your mind now? What do you think is next then? I want to create a Beyblade club. I think that's a great idea. I can help you with that. If you need help, you know, what are some things that you need? I need, you know, we need a room and we need to determine days and, Anyways, fast forward, I'm wearing headphones, and there's broke out to two rooms of over 50 (laughs) Beybladers. And Christmas uh, lists are having Beyblades, and it's thriving. And this student's leading it. So, uh, restorative practices create the conditions, I I would say. on a simple level they create the conditions for dialogue to happen ideas to be exchanged uh, people to be listened to and new ideas that aren't in the institutional blueprint like oh we're planning teachers are planning this club and the new ideas to create the space for them to to uh form um so that's kind of at the heart of institutional uh uh, sorry restorative practices and uh, to do it as a staff is is uh challenging too. you know, about vulnerability. Uh, Brene Brown's really brought that to the fore too. So it's, it is, um, we've done it with staff as well. And, and since that time, I've been invited to uh, classrooms, for example, can you just come in and do one of those circles? I think they just need it. You know, they're a little on edge and um, the, you can sense the appreciation of students who are asked a question and Uh, sincerely and get the get to answer it you know for example i asked who's one person you can start with like if you could be an animal any animal what would you be warm up pretty safe you know then you then pick a question so i you know i asked who's one person who just makes you feel when you meet them you know you feel uh just really warm and, and they make you feel like a great person and they listen to you and they help you a lot. Who's that person in your life and, and, and hearing that from students or hearing them pass and seeing where their eyes go, it just creates the space to, uh, to develop a lot more understanding of the people who you're with immediately. And so I guess that takes you away from the
0: uh, institutional blueprint. Yeah. I was going to ask, because, that mindset shift around role really right because it's the the role of a teacher as mandated by the institution and then there's the role of the facilitator in a restorative circle those are fun mm-hmm. kind of fundamentally probably different perspectives or yeah. you know and there's an, unagnol- there's an An acknowledgement. And interestingly, like when you talk about being in circle, I have a flashback to a school that I I went into and I was chatting with a teacher because I was gonna come in and just do something with the kids. I was like, so do you have like a talking stick or a talking rock or something that we pass around in circle? And she looked at me like I had three heads, like she'd never heard of that. I was like, How do you manage 25 eight-year-olds without a talking rock or like something to sit in circle? And it was just, you know, it hadn't, it wasn't part of the blueprint, like you say, the institutional design was not designed for that. And it wasn't fostered. Um, And it struck me coming from a place where we used to gather and circle all day, every day. um, It struck me as just super odd, but that's just different institutions, different, different mindset pieces. Mm -hmm. So if we back up a layer to because I think one of the dangers or one of the things that I've noticed in my work is that I can come in with a set of practices for people to engage with, but if they don't have a corresponding mindset or paradigm, around it, then it's just that you can hollow out those practices. So you can sit in circle and not talk about anything meaningful. And I've seen that happen. And I'm sure you have as well. Mm -hmm. And you can sit in circle and have it be a really profound experience where people are getting that empathetic and vulnerable exchange. And so it's not often enough to just give people practices, it's practices with paradigm shift or mindset shift. And how have you approached that other than And maybe there isn't another then, you know, they're really just modeling and, um, and driving the conversation back towards what's meaningful back towards values. And, and, you know, but any thoughts that come to mind around like mindset shift around some of these, because any tool is the right tool when you've got the mindset that, you know, is driving it.
1: Yeah. That's a great question, Jeff. I, 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 you know, I like there's no magic one. I, I think about things like, um, you know, we share staff meetings in uh, different classrooms all, all every month, and so B. I, I think about uh, going out of your room, out of your space, so going off-site. Uh, I, I think about like this physical spaces are important. Um, so changing the physical spaces and, and, and sharing the staff meeting and locations. Um, I can give you examples of how that the next week three other teachers had their rooms set up in this way that you've never seen the room set up where we host. So I guess I'm talking about uh, the, the sun and the, and the sun and the wind uh, parable. I, I, I'm really kind of mindful of uh, creating conditions. Um, so different locations in the staff meeting, for example, Or as simple as having a non-judgmental stance and, and, uh, and hearing a a heavy position from a staff member and me just saying, tell me about that. And, and that's just uh, me learning and knowing and just registering where they are. And at that moment, it's not the time to say, you need to shift over here. (laughs) It's for, it's the time for me to, to notice that. And so I suppose after noticing that is the now what, and so little things about um partnering up or pairing or hey would you like to visit you know i know this has been a challenge would you like to go into this classroom and 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 check it out i can cover your class and just to see another and and provide opportunities and and invitations so i guess i'm i'm looking at um yeah you know i i think of (laughs) there's a lot of people jeff i sorry not a lot of people, but. I forced buddhism or forced zen like you know in, in today's culture people really trying uh and it doesn't work that way i don't think i think you need to um you need to be aware of it and strategic as a leader and it's not enough and i remember you said you know i said jeff i'm really follow servant leadership and you made a point you know you just you challenged me i think in, in the end he said you know you can be a servant leader and you can um, still and i forget what topic we were talking about so it's not abdicating uh, if you, just because you notice it and don't react on it right at that moment. It's not abdicating, but it's something you're skillful of in terms of I wonder what might help move that needle and what kind of pairings might help move that needle. When I get to spend time with students, uh, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a time where I'm, I find that the needle has moved a lot. So mm-hmm. when I get to spend the time with that student who is challenging and have a conversation, no tables in, in the middle or anything with restorative practices, getting back to that, and ask them questions that the uh, teacher just doesn't have the time. I have all this luxury of flexibility and I'm untethered. So me reflecting something back from that student, that which might maybe lead to like a trauma or something that's a big fear that they have, often is helpful to the teacher because in, in, in helping them shift because in their eyes, and I get it, there's 30 other kids in there, that student is doing this to sabotage, and it's it's mm-hmm. tougher to see what's behind that. So being aware uh, of uh, getting into dialogue and being aware of where they're at and uh, giving them opportunities. And sometimes I put teachers uh, who who you would not expect to um, be given a certain opportunity just for that reason. Like they are further away from this ideology. Would you like to be on this committee that we're moving this? (laughs) Yes, I would. Sure. So, so um, conditions, I guess I'm getting at conditions.
0: And it sounds like invitation. You've said you mentioned invitation a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. How important that is when, you know, leadership sometimes looks like the blunt end of a stick to her yes. motivation. So it goes back to like what's inherently motivating. And when we are, you know, I always tell people, especially people who are, you know, frustrated with their like coaching somebody in that coaching mm-hmm. relationship. And it's something yeah. I pick, picked up from a mentor of mine, an old program supervisor. He's, you know, he's got to be in his late sixties. Um, runs dog teams up in kind of central Alberta, and he said, "Jeff, you can't coach someone if there isn't an invitation. Like, if you're not invited right. into that relationship, there is like yes, there's no point." So, how do you, how do you think about that kind of invitation and balancing that with expectations? Because I think that becomes the, like, the leader's quandary. Often is invitation and supporting growth and i have these accountabilities and expectations that are being placed on me and the system that i'm a part of and like how do you wrestle those two two pieces
1: yeah uh i a uh, simple uh barometer that i use is uh will and skill do they have the will and skill and i, I you know they do they do uh so um, do they have the will and skill to, to, to move forward? I, I think a lot, I go back to invitations and I, and a lot of times I'm opening it up to everyone. I'm not hand picking, but I, so I'm opening it up to everyone. And, and, uh, so what if there's 30? Well, that's a great problem to have, you know, and, and we don't like there's, there's, um, it just works out that where, where the cord hits, people will, will come out. Um, so that accountability piece, I go with my, uh, go with my, instinct a lot jeff in terms of a lot of a lot of times i find uh your initial my initial instinct will be there and then i'll try to talk myself out of it um so having announcements we have our school has announcements every morning and i thought uh through the covid uh through the school Mm -hmm. closure and uh, initially i just came to me i was like we need to do this in order to have our community and then um i'll find ways to maybe not you know type thing but uh you going with that so uh, initial hunches and instincts in terms of what will what might uh light the light the fire the system accountability hmm. being clear about that you know and th- there's part of leadership that it just is like yes this is is this expected yeah absolutely it is um so i guess i i look at uh here's one example maybe you know we're all moving to a shifting uh real time reporting it's a big shift it was a big shift in my current school hadn't done a lot of, uh, you know, especially kindergarten and grade one teachers, feeding the parent portal and putting your marks on there mm-hmm. and melding the two um, philosophies can be difficult. So I guess, again, um, I described it to our school council. I said, hey, do you know what reporting looks like? Do you know what reporting season looks like for teachers? And I gave them a pretty clear outline. And I said, you could be pretty safe to assume that teachers are not at their best in those two weeks in November there and um, and I, and uh, furthermore I said you know we're shifting to this so you know if you're open I can put a can statement on the report card saying where the direction we're going and see the parent portal for the information That was a motivational thing for teachers too so there's a big institutional expectation mm-hmm. and then it's me uh, kind of massaging and interpreting that and, and making it um, a, it is a carrot I guess. Um, but I was surprised to see how fast we are we move there and we're there. And that was just this year. So having um, uh, that was, I guess that's an example of a carrot, Jeff, but but there's a bit more to it in terms of being honest about uh, and working with your parent community. And because teachers were worried about like, what her parents going to think. Is, hey, I've already talked to the council and I'll publish it. I'll say in September newsletter, hey, guess what? Here's where we're going. And so, uh, you're, you're making it, um, when you're talking about the, uh, the need twos in terms of, uh, management and institution, uh, you've got to create some narrative around there and, and make it, uh, make sure that the the purpose is seen because hopefully everything does have a purpose.
0: Yeah. I think that's that's great advice i think that a lot of times we as institutions or as senior leadership are a little bit disconnected there's a, there's that disconnect that happens between the top and the, the yeah. direct service provision and i always tell leaders that people don't resist change they resist being changed right they resist you saying do this yeah. and not attaching it to something that's meaningful and as soon as we do that then people will get on get on board it happens over and over again when i see that this improves my practice this is a you know this is aligned with some values that i already carry and that we as a team carry change you don't have to really sell it right it's it's that you know when we when that disconnect is, is clear that this is something that kind of arbitrarily imposed by somebody who's not a direct service provider and you know on a whim right which I think change fatigue is real in our institutions. I think that the the rate of change that happens across the helping professions and education, I know, you know, I've sat with enough teachers now over the past couple of years that they're sitting in the back, their arms crossed, and they're like I've seen this before and it's the pendulum will swing back again the other way. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of that fatigue around change. And I think it's because it's, there's been a disconnect between why it's meaningful and how yeah. it's, how it's going to be helpful for them or the students versus this is something that some bureaucrat or administrator or ho- whatever we, you know, label of the day we want to place on, on senior leadership, um, is coming out with. So I think that's great advice. I think that clearly connecting the the change to the, the values of the team or, or the individual's, you know, hopes and values and, of, of themselves and their practice, I think is is pretty key. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Hey, yeah. okay. um, shifting gears a little bit. Let's talk about leadership digital leadership because that's what you're doing now i see you're at your sure. place i can see some, yeah i guess see uh, some paintings in the back yeah you talked about chickens you got some chickens I do in. all this time <laughs> and space that all of us leaders and folks have at home now um yeah yet still trying to build and foster community and relationships and have you noticed any any shifts anything you mentioned uh, announcements morning announcements for your school yeah
1: yeah for sure in terms of uh just in general the shift um it was, um, it was a stark contrast from one week to the next, clearly, when, the, you know, we came to the point of school closures. It, uh, I'm comfortable with ambiguity uh, as a leader. Um, I, I, I know that and I realize that. And uh, fair enough, many, many people are not um, in terms of, uh, you know, th- I didn't have answers. No one had answers, right, in the first week. And so, um, when I go back to that instinct, uh, yeah, teachers wanted to teach; they wanted to immediately do all these things. The instructions, the marching orders were "don't, don't." And I give our staff a lot of credit; they didn't reach out instinctively. You'd want to reach out, and uh, and many teachers across different divisions did. Like, why wouldn't you? But they might have started something that uh, you know, wasn't quite the way. Um, oftentimes, uh, they you know it just wasn't. Didn't fit with the uh, provincial and divisional guidelines. no harm being done Jeff. I'm not talking about that mm-hmm. but um, so my instinct was to okay let's keep this community connected and uh, we'll do an, we'll, we did announcements every day Our, the great fours did it, and I was a script writer and just a general facilitator and, and uh, it's kind of my nemesis I really didn't like uh, it was new to me i didn't i didn't uh, honestly I didn't like it i didn't uh, I wasn't comfortable with it. I did not not like it. I wasn't comfortable with it, and then I, so I changed, or I, I faded more in the background, and and had the students in front of a green screen, and and then I uh, then I just noticed, I, I you know, it is serving a real big purpose, and it's certainly uh, on many levels. So I I was more comfortable with it at that point. And then um, we got back on air probably, maybe it was Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, we sent out an email, come on and join us for announcements. We got back on air. We, uh, in the absence of any curriculum, we did numeracy challenges from Joe Bowler's website to YouTube, which is fantastic, open-ended numeracy questions. We were getting engineers uh, take part in it and kindergarten students and a lot of, and so it was... And then we would get visuals and we'd share the reflect our learners back to them on the announcements. We'd have house team challenges, and so uh, that was, has been something uh, I'm really happy about. I'm just really happy that uh, our school has done that. Uh, we've had regularly over 100 uh, people tune in. Uh, we had Fred Fox on um, a week ago. Um, because we in april twenty sixth the fortieth anniversary of Terry dipping his foot in so collectively we ran across Canada, we finished the journey for Terry and then back to um back to his address anyways, ended up uh, Fred Fox ended up joining us so I'm just uh I'm really happy about that shift um you, you know, we talked about this a little a bit before and and no, I don't know any other school who is doing it and that that's not what it's about. Um, I'm just a common uh, expression that we have, myself and uh, my amazing assistant principal, Alana Berger, and that we say amongst ourselves often. And then we'll share with the staff too, in a pretty non-threatening way, I would think, is uh, we could do better. And it's said in a way, Jeff, I think you got to couch it in the relationship first, right? <laughs> so. Because believe me, it's it is a it's just an observ it's a non judgmental observation. We could do better, and so that's one way we've uh, we have. Uh, and then overall, we've uh, seen staff uh, make a uh, a really big shift um, and start out uh, with a lot of trepidation, many of them, uh, and then uh, really extend themselves in terms of when we talk about uh, revisit things in terms of okay, let's we're noticing what's. What's happening here? What are we noticing? More students are tuning out, okay, so what might we do to uh, to reengage them and uh, so there's been a general shift towards the curriculum still there, but teachers are are shifting to reaching out at a more human level to uh, make connections and uh, above and beyond the their their role. Um, just before we spoke, I was um, sharing, giving a tour of the chicken coop and our chickens to a student in a classroom. Again, you're, you're just doing things that are uh, that you're reacting to the times and and um, week to week adjusting your practice. So I've been really happy with what I've seen overall, and uh, we're in a stage where. Uh, like I said, I think we're more in tune with that. If we were back online virtually in September, that would look different too. That would have to look different. It would be, have to be on a different level. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, I've been really happy with it. Uh, I, it's for me, your point about uh, leadership having not changed. Yeah, like my energy comes from the people around me. So um, the Zooms, that I'm on Zooms all the time. Uh, and it's a bit more flexible to, I'm flipping it the whole time. Oh, wow. I have the flexibility to invite two other area of just for a 10 minute chat in terms of, Hey, what are you doing? What's working where you wouldn't have time to do that as much before. So um, the, yeah, it's, I'm overall, I'm pleased with our uh, how it's manifested in our school and, and, uh, and across the division for sure.
0: There's amazing things. I love that mantra of yours the you know we can do better it's it it reminds me of my my colleague steve the group always says that you know best is an effort better is the destination right we're never going to get to best practice and i I push back against best practice all the time because it's best with what we know right but it's actually just maybe it's a little bit better than what we're currently doing we can do our best and we can get better as as a team so i love that that's uh that's something you guys have front and center um because that's that that shifts what's a lot a lot of times it shifts the barriers into opportunities right it's you know it's that it's that mindset shift that we were talking about earlier around going from institutional type centered practice to you know student-centered practice or restorative practice it's it's better in, and in which ways is it better right for and yeah. for who right is it it's, it's a it's a mindset piece that really resonates with yeah
1: me here. I, I appreciate your perspective in terms of better for who and 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 as a design model too that's yeah
0: i like that Awesome. I don't want to keep you too long because I know you've got chickens to feed and students to give tours of the (laughs) coop to. Um, But maybe we can finish off with advice for young leaders or advice for new leaders, people who are stepping into roles, not just in the education system, but leading a team. And when you think back, if there's a couple of like really pointed lessons that stand out for you or turning point moments for you where something really became clear... About yeah. your leadership practice or resources, I know you just finished some stuff around stress and yeah. leadership. And if you if you have resources that you want to point people to, books to read, podcasts to listen to, courses to take, those are always sure. really appreciated. Okay,
1: well, I will uh, throw out the resources right away, just so they're out there. I, I just completed a course with uh, the Merit Center. Stuart Shanker is uh, certainly a Canadian leader and worldwide leader in self regulation. Uh, that was a four part coast course, really looked at the science behind it in terms of, uh, of stress and, um, you know, put simply, we, you know, we let's do an analogy of a the thermostat. You have it set at 21 or 19, if you like it cooler, 22, and we all need to sometimes, um, upregulate to get for, to get from lower temperature to your, your norm, oftentimes the case down regulate um into, for 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 folks. Uh there's so much science behind it and it really looks at the upstream of what's manifested in front of us right now. So mm-hmm. the symptoms of what we're seeing left and right and center. Um and uh sometimes we get caught in the whack a mole of uh, reacting to those symptoms. This course really looks at what's happening upstream and how do we get to the core of that. So I really like that. Um, course uh the inner games uh, timothy galway is a big influence on me i just finished the inner game of stress and so again the inner game would be look at uh your self one versus self two self one self two being your instincts and what's naturally coming out and your your best self For self one is the the chatter and the distractions in your inner dialogue that's uh going against that um that's a The Inner Game of Tennis is his original original book, but he has inner games of work uh, and the inner game of stress. There's lots of great tools in there uh, because uh, you're going to experience stress. And I think uh, one of the simple pieces of advice would be when I came to my current school, um, I uh, was very, very conscious because I knew... uh, what I wanted to uh, what I wanted to influence in terms of the culture, Jeff, mm-hmm. and so I was uh, with myself, I was very conscious that uh, I will never have my phone out uh, when interacting with uh, anybody on staff or students or parents and never react to it at all and um, uh, as the new administrator, you're pulled, you're pulled you're, you're you know. There's dings going all the time. You're pulled in a lot of directions. It's a linchpin position. But you can only do two things. Oh, sorry. One thing at a time. Mm-hmm. So you're, you know, just finding a way to manage that. And because the picture of a busy, young, busy school leader with a phone in front and there's urgency and importance. Whose urgency and importance is a good question to consider. That, uh, that uh, above and beyond the, the visual of that, because that takes away a lot right there in terms of relationship, in my opinion. Um, above, and beyond, above and beyond the visual, it's, um, it's not going to be the best way to operate your your building. It's not going to be the best way to be at your best. So those around you can be at your best. So that's one thing. And I, as a side note to that, I, um, a teacher told me this year, they said, you know, Brennan, you know, I don't know. You It was after school. I don't think you really had an agenda or anything. You just dropped by to check on my day and your phone was dinging and blowing up and, and uh, you know, you didn't do anything. We were just talking. And it wasn't like we weren't even talking about something uh, that, you know, a meeting or anything. And at one point you said, I'm just going to check if it's my son needing something. You know, And you, and you looked and then you put it back and Yeah, that that was, and they just, they, they noticed and offered that to me. So for me, that was very, very meaningful because it's, um, that's what exactly what I wanted to, uh, to
0: see in a culture, in a building. So that'd be my one piece of advice. If that makes sense to you, Jeff, I I love that advice. And I've seen the unintentional consequences for leaders who are tethered to that particular device. You know, Mm -hmm. I I get in trouble for my wife because actually like my ringer's off. Twenty-four yeah. hours a day. Like yeah. it's not on. Like yeah. my phone doesn't actually ring or beep, it may ding because I have the same philosophy. I'm like, I want to be doing it. Holds it holds down some paper it's though, right? It holds some paper down. I don't like, yeah. it's not even with me right now. It's somewhere <laughs> in the house. Right. Because the you can't do two things at once. You can't be present in in relationship with someone while your phone is buzzing and you're just checking it like that. What we know about attention and what we know about like stress and all static stress mm-hmm. load and all of these pieces around, you know, this constant bombardment of noise. In our life like it's really noisy and as a leader it's particularly noisy because you're getting noise from you know the people you're supporting and you're getting noise from the top and, and it's, it's developing the right filters and and one of like that's a great filter is just you know set it aside turn the ringer off and check it when you when you have the time and space and you're not trying to do something else that's more important so i think it goes back to you know i talk a lot about with leaders about decision making filters and what are you using to filter out the noise to figure out where like what you should be doing at any given time and you know values are probably the most poignant thing for me it's like that's where we operationalize values and if it sounds to me like being present and engaged with people is a value of yours like a core value Mm -hmm. right so it makes it makes sense that your phone is is absent from the conversation because you can't do both right um and so maybe that's if i try and distill down that piece of advice for young or new leaders is to really connect with what your values are and then figure out what behaviors are congruent or incongruent with that and adjust accordingly. Right. Um, So that's, that's something I'm working on personally is, you know, being present and engaged with my kids while running a busy consulting and coaching practice. Like those two things are at odds with each other sometimes. And so hence why the phone doesn't go bike riding with us. Right. It just doesn't, there's no purpose, doesn't need to. So, right. And we both, and we both stumble at that, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And my that's, son is now at the point where he gives me good feedback. He's eight. Yeah, so you he go. notices
1: until. And uh, yeah. And so that's the other reality. It's not like, uh, Oh, we've arrived, you know? So that's a good point for when constant, that happens to, when you catch yourself or you're caught yeah.
0: It's that non-judgment with self and others is probably the, the underpinnings of that. It's, yeah. Um, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for oh. joining me i really appreciate this conversation and i've appreciated working with your team and seeing the the impact on students and the culture certainly at glenbo and i anticipate that it's followed you to uh, to your new school as well so um yeah i appreciate you and uh, the example you set for leaders in our educational system um, well,
1: likewise likewise jeff i really uh, appreciate any time i get a chance to talk with you i'm glad we made this happen and and uh Uh, i'll be following your work here and we'll get in touch i know that
0: thank you for tuning in to another episode of powerful again my name is jeff coulard and the fact that you're willing to spend some quality time with myself and my guests like brendan uh, to talk about leadership and life and power well, it means a lot And what else would mean a lot is if you enjoyed this show or you have enjoyed some of these episodes in the past, to take the time to drop us a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us reach a wider audience and have a bigger impact in the world. There are a few changes coming up to the podcast. We're actually going to move to a live weekly show, and more information is available at the podcast, jeffcoulard.com slash podcast. That's J-E-F-F-C-O-U-I-L-L-A-R-D.com slash podcast, where we'll introduce you to a new format where we're going to be interviewing people live and streaming it to Facebook, and then, of course, taking the audio and putting it into the regular podcast format like you've come to enjoy here. Uh, Again, thank you so much and have a wonderful week.